Welcome to another Acoustic Alternatives. I'm John Bomarito from Grove Studios in Ypsilanti. It's an awesome space to record a podcast or maybe hold a band practice without disturbing the neighbors. Practice your DJ skills. It's a, it's a really interesting option to uh, get out of your garage and find a place to practice that doesn't disturb your neighbors. And today on Acoustic Alternatives, I'm happy to present a mighty fine pop and roll singer, as he calls himself, who I'm getting to interview for the first time today. Thanks to the generous support from Zingerman's Grey Line in Ann Arbor, a great place you can trust is their motto. I've uh, got more to say about them a little bit later, but ZingermansGreyLine.com is a good place to start. Open up a different browser if you're looking for a place to hold an event and check them out while I introduce you to Steve Everett. Hello, Steve. Great intro. I'm happy to be here. It's so good to see you. We talked about doing this. Uh, is that last? Must have been summer. Couldn't have been fall, could it? Yeah, it was, it was a little folly. Usually, if you see me in Michigan, which was the case, then it's the summertime. <laughs> this is a rare appearance during cold weather time. Well, you're coming up today because you happen to be uh, on the. Uh, a bill in Lake Orion, and I thought this would be a good opportunity to talk about an album that you passed along to me called Little Winds, and I, I purchased it at your show, and I loved it. In fact, I don't know if you know this, of the 100 or so albums that I heard that were released in 2021, it's my opinion that Steve Everett's Little Winds was the sixth best album I heard in 2021. That's high praise. That is actually pretty high praise. I'll take that. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm familiar with uh, you know just how many records there are at any given time that are released. So like, you yeah. know, any, if, if you make somebody's top 20, it's an honor. Unfortunately, I left it at home. <laughs> <laughs> it's on my desk at home. So I would hold it up to the cameras and show people. But I think maybe the best thing to do would be for you to play a song from it. Yeah, absolutely. What song would you like to start with? Uh, this is a song called um, What's in the Well, and oh. it was the single uh, on this record. Basically, there was this lady, I was born in uh, Albany, Georgia, mm-hmm. and there was this lady named My Reese who would come watch my brother and I when we were little kids, when my parents would have a date night. Mm-hmm. And uh, she would just, if we had the TV on or the radio on, she would say, you know, tell us to cut it off. And if we asked why, she would say, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. And so she just didn't want us to poison our wells. And uh, that's that's been in my family for my whole life. So basically, I just kind of called my family and we uh, brainstormed some ideas, and that this song just kind of fell out. It's an earworm, I got to tell you. Ah, uh, thanks, man. <laughs> it's stuck in my head every time. Well, my Reese is no longer with us, so this is just kind of a tribute to a lady that meant a lot to our family. Well, it's 86 in Albany. Friday night about 6.15 Mom and Dad's anniversary And my Reese is at the door 55 and 5 foot nothing Sweet as pie but by both thumping Every time we were watching something She'd come and cut it off And she'd say what's in the well Comes up in the bucket You can waste time but it don't stop running Season change, but it won't change nothing. What's in the well comes up in the bucket. Well, it's 96 in old NC. Friends are passing around a magazine. Stuff my dad wouldn't let me see. So I up and took off. We're at school for a couple days. Everybody asked why I ran away. I couldn't think of something cool to say, so I reached for the same old song. I said, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. You can waste time, but it don't stop running. Season change, but it won't change nothing. What's in the well comes up in the bucket. We 
haven't talked since I was seven But I talked about her my whole life I guess a good enough lesson keeps itself alive in the well comes up in the bucket you can waste time but it don't stop running season change but it won't change nothing what's in the well yeah what's in the well comes up in the bucket you can waste time but it don't stop running season change but it won't change nothing what's in the well comes up in the bucket yeah comes up in Steve Everett on Acoustic Alternatives from the album Little Winds, as I mentioned, full of goodness and catchy hooks. That is, how do you get that song out of your head once you hear it? You can't. You just can't. Man, well, any song that you write, it takes you a little while. That's kind of the, uh, you don't know it's good until you get sick of it. And then only then, because yeah, you're right. When you first come up with a melody, you know, especially when you're trying to write catchy songs, which is always a goal of mine. um, Yeah, I mean, it it gets stuck in your own head and you kind of have to do it until you hate it to really think of it objectively. Do you... Get sick of your own songs? Uh, yeah, you, I don't think you can do a good job with them until you're kind of over it, you know? Because when it's still fun for you, um, then you're still exploring, you know? So it's really only when you've played it enough times to know every little nook and cranny and wh- all, where all your op- options are, kind of escape routes and how you're going to play it when you're 100%, how you're going to play it when you're 80%. Hmm. Um, you know, it, it just once you've kind of investigated everything, it's just like anything else, you know, you can... Uh, just like millionaires always talk about, uh, I actually lived across the street from Derrick Henry, the running back for the Tennessee Titans, okay. for a couple of years, and uh, I just thought about it all the time. Like he's a multimillionaire, and he, he looks at our house every day, you know, from his mansion, <laughs> and we get to look at his house. But you know, this nothing nothing changes, and you can get used to anything. You know, I'm sure that uh, you know ten million dollars feels a lot like ten thousand dollars to somebody who's had ten million for a long time. So it's kind of the same thing with songs. I was actually chatting with a friend of mine over lunch the other day about uh, about music in general. That's that's our common bond. And one of his former bandmates is in a different project, and he was hearing one of the songs from their forthcoming album, and he thought, "Wow, seems like it's a perfect song. I'm going to play it and see if I ever get sick of it." So he said he played it nonstop while he worked for nine hours a day for two weeks and never got sick of it. And he said, "I should just stop because I, I I don't think I'm ever going to get sick of this perfect song." That's amazing. I know. I like. Well, I I can't wait to hear that song again because I had heard it. I just hadn't. It didn't stick with me the way it stuck with him immediately. So that's how I feel about Stevie Wonder "Sign Sealed Delivered." Oh, I could listen to that song like I don't I don't cover it or anything because that's that is kind of <laughs> how you can't you, touch it. <laughs> yeah, it, and you know, I, I just I love Stevie, but uh, yeah, Desert Island. I could listen to that song all day, every day, and never get sick of it. That's good to know. We might have gotten to that question later, but I don't think I actually had it on here. <laughs> well, let's back up way back. Life started for you in Albany, Georgia, and before your family moved you to Greensboro, North Carolina. Is Greensboro known for anything particular? <laughs> yeah. So I I we moved to High Point, which is like right next to Greensboro. Okay. But in an even smaller town. Greensboro's got the uh, International Civil Rights Museum, and it's where the uh, lunch counter sit-ins were. Oh, okay. Um and so that's that Woolworths where that happened or whatever it was. Um uh, you know, is right downtown, and there's a bunch of uh, historically black colleges and universities in North Carolina. 
um, as well as like, you know, some of the hugest universities. So there's just a lot in that area that you can kind of have access to. Um, but High Point um, is just the only thing that was really going on there was it, it's the furniture capital of the world. So people from like Gucci and Prada, uh, you know, high-end leather companies and, and, and all these huge furniture companies would send people to High Point, North Carolina, from all over the world. And there weren't enough hotels or anything, so they would just rent families' houses out, you know, and it's before Airbnb. Uh, and so, yeah, two weeks a year, we were just kind of out of our own house and <laughs> meeting people from Italy and all over the world. You know, it was just a, it was a really interesting place to grow up. So you liked it? Yeah, I think North Carolina is just a great melting pot. There's just enough, you know, college towns and, and industry to keep a lot of people from all over the place there. And then, you know, the folks who are from there, it's not quite the deep south, you know, it's a little closer to um, – all the art and culture that exists kind of in the northern half of the country. So it's it just kind of the best of both worlds. And that's where you finished, like, your primary school. You were high school there. Yeah. I, I've lived there, since, you know, from, from age, like, 3 to, you know, 25 or something. Were you involved in the, the bands uh, at school? Did you do musicals? Yeah. Did you do any of that stuff at high school? Yeah, my dad sang opera back in the you know, 70s. Yeah, he was uh, in New York and San Francisco, all over the place, but— um, so yeah, I mean, he's, he's been a church choir director my whole life. So I was in music really early on and played every instrument that was available to me. So I would just kind of, you know, in sixth grade, when you, when I started a band, I just asked what they didn't have. And then I would learn a new instrument every day, you know, or every uh, year, <laughs> whatever, you know, whatever the weak spot was. Um, and it was just, you know, I, I knew real early on, this was it. <laughs> what point was that early on? Is like five or 10? Uh, yeah, my mom took me to school for the first day um, in, like, kindergarten or something. And I apparently w- was like, oh, this isn't what I'm supposed to do. Like, I'm supposed to play for people. I'm supposed to, like, entertain it's people. really early. <laughs> yeah, and she was just like, okay, well, today you're going to school. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, kid. Yeah. I'll, I'll, you can play for me when you get home, right? Maybe learn how to play anything before you decide yeah. to, to make this your career. <laughs> Was there a decent local music scene in that area as well that you might have been influenced by, or uh, did you have to seek out music? Really had to seek it out uh, because my dad was into classical music and you know worked at a church, so there's a lot of church music and you know classical stuff like sacred music, and uh, it just wasn't a real like top forty rock and roll. You know uh, that wasn't on my radar until I kind of got away and uh, was left to my own devices. So that was. It was it was a peaceful upbringing, and it was very musical, but not very, uh, you know, rock, pop, folk musical. So bands wouldn't come through your area and play near you? Like, did you have a place to go see your favorite bands? Nearby? Yeah, I did. I, I went to uh, a whole bunch of Sister Hazel shows in uh, Winston-Salem, North not a Carolina. Bad thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but we did, we, you know, you had to drive half hour to get to a, a decent-sized venue. That's not bad, though. Nah. Not bad at all. Do you remember the first song you wrote? Uh, I do. It was for my mom for Mother's Day. <laughs> How old were you then? I was like ten. Oh, yeah. I got a guitar for thirty bucks at a at a garage sale uh, with this lady Nita, who would uh, Nita Nichols would always um, take me like yard sale or just something to get me out of the house and you know give me some experiences as a kid. But she bought me this really cheap acoustic guitar at a yard sale, and I just was like, oh, this is it, you know. And so after a couple years, I had. You know, written some songs and was having fun. But yeah, that first one that I ever tried, it was, uh, it's like, oh yeah, I'm a mommy, M O M Y. You don't want to mess with me. I can make a grown man cry. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I remember some lyrics I wrote when I was a teenager about girls that I had crushes on. But yeah, I never turned them in. I don't play anything. So they're still just like poems in my head. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you could do the kind of like a Def Jam, like smash slam poetry type of thing. I always think that's entertaining. It wouldn't be very good if it was me. <laughs> How about the first gig you played? Do you remember that? Like, I do. I was in a, a band when I was 15 called The Road. I didn't name it. <laughs> it was already named when I got there. Uh, but yeah, we, we played this uh, gymnasium. I, I don't remember what it was attached to, but I just remember I didn't book the show being 15 and I had like a dress shirt that was like, you know, had my mom like press it fresh. So I, I thought that was rock and roll for some reason. So I've just got this like untucked dress shirt, uh, buzzed head, clean shave. I look like a, a thumb. It was just an absolute tragedy visually. And uh, I, we got up there and I just, I, I hadn't thought about like, oh, what am I going to do when I'm actually in front of people? You know, because before that you're just at your house with your guitar and it's very safe and you have unlimited chances to get it right. And I just remember we walked out and there was like 200 kids in there and we were up on this big stage at the gym and uh, I was just like, this is the most fun moment of my entire life. Like I got to do this every day if it's possible. And now that you do it for a living, I mean, do you ever think how weird it is that your job is to stand in front of people and wait for them to clap? <laughs> That's kind of your job other than all the yeah. driving, really. The driving is The happening. driving feels like mostly what the job is. You know, it's kind of like a filter you have to walk through if you want to be a professional touring musician. For sure. Can but we, yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I I think of it all the time. Just like this is such a charmed life, and kind of what we were talking about earlier about you know you can kind of get used to anything, and maybe you lose a little focus. Uh, COVID has been great for reminding you, like, hey, remember how special it is to travel around America and people come out and listen and clap? Like, that's pretty cool, man. <laughs> Let's keep doing that, please. Yeah, twelve year old me thinks I'm like an intergalactic rock star, so I try to stay in that headspace. Steve Everett's my guest today on Acoustic Alternatives. Uh, before we dig a little deeper and ask more questions, do you have another song you feel like doing? Yeah, absolutely. You have a guitar there. We're going to do four, so why not? I, I like Actually, it. You're going to do four. I'm going to sit here and watch. <laughs> I was about to say, are you going to come in on the harmony? Maybe, but no. Uh, this is one. Uh, this is called Pick Your Head Up, and I, I wrote this uh, on an EP uh, kind of in between full-length records. I just released, as you said, thank you very much for the kind words on Little Winds. It's great. Uh, that was my fourth full-length. And uh, in between, I always do like a little four-song EP where I get a little more experimental and uh, maybe a little more modern. And um, this is a song called Pick Your Head Up. And it's basically, I wrote it with a girl named Brittany Monroe. And uh, half the song is from the male perspective on a love. And then the other half is from, you know, female perspective on a love. And uh, it just kind of turned into this uh, female empowerment anthem about like uh, not getting in your own way. You know, it, I don't know. It's just, thanks, Brittany. This, uh, this actually got featured in... Uh, Rolling Stone magazine, which was the craziest thing that's ever happened to me. So I love this song. <laughs> Jenny isn't pretty, or so she thinks. So she goes to parties by herself, sits alone and drinks, and dreams of being pretty, and all it brings, like getting into sold-out shows and having cute boys buy her things. She wants to dance, but she's ready to leave, yeah, to leave, yeah. Meanwhile, a boy there is dying to meet her, to meet her thinking, hey, pick your head up, look around, you might be standing on your crown, stuck inside your own mind, 
burning your own castle down Cinderella, don't get in your carriages Cause I think I found your slipper in your print Jeffrey isn't smooth, no, or so he thinks As he makes his way across the party Carrying two drinks But Jenny sees him coming And she moves out of his way Seems surprised when they lock eyes And he stops in front of her to say He wants to dance but he needs her to lead him To lead him Soon as he saw her, he was dying to meet her, to meet her, thinking, hey, pick your head up, look around, you might be standing on your crown, stuck inside your own mind, burning your own castle down, Cinderella, don't get in your carriages. Cause I think I found your slipper in your It goes to show that you never know You never know oh, oh. Cause beauty is only in the beholder The beholder thinking Pick your head up, look around You might be standing on oh, hey. Pick your head up, look around You might be standing on your crown Stuck inside your own mind Burning your own castle down Cinderella, don't get in your carriage yet Cause I think I found your slipper in your Cinderella, don't get in your carriage yet Cause I think I found your slipper in your prince. Yeah, well, pick your head up. Steve Everett is my guest today on Acoustic Alternatives, a song you said was featured in Rolling Stone. What did they have to say about that song? What was the, what was the compliment? They do a, uh, like a top 10 list of songs you should check out uh, every issue, and it was just in- included in that. But uh, there was no heads up ahead of time. So yeah, I, I was just on the West Coast, actually with J.D. Iker, who I'm playing tonight with. And uh, I just woke up to a whole bunch of texts, you know. And when you wake up on the West Coast, you've already missed a lot of the day you know, to your East Coast friends. So yeah. it was it was, it was was a, a large number of texts. And the first few that I read just were like, congratulate. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. And then somebody sent me the link. And I was just like, no way. You know? High five. Cool. Yeah, thanks. I, I've never been in Rolling Stone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, as somebody who's been in a thousand times more than you, uh, it's pretty cool. Yes, I bet. <laughs> now, I know you've been through Ann Arbor and the area a few times. We're in Ypsilanti today, but uh, you've probably heard of Zingerman's, right? I mean, who hasn't yeah. heard of Zingerman's? <laughs> Best known for their food, but they have some branches of their business. And one of them, which I'm very honored, has chosen to sponsor me, is Zingerman's Gray Line. So you don't live here, but if you right. maybe wanted to plan an event, that would be a great place to do it. I've DJed weddings there on a number of occasions. I've been asked to DJ there a number of occasions, and it's it's a really cool place. It's a great place you can a great space you can trust, as they say. It's ideal for social events like casual and upscale weddings, rehearsal dinners, birthday parties, bar and bat mitzvahs, retirement parties, and tailgate parties. Uh, the Grand Line is also good for corporate meetings. I've been there for a roast of sorts for somebody, training sessions, staff parties. 
It's fully equipped with electrical and AV, and DJs and bands have a great, easy plug-in to tap into their overhead system. You can also utilize your own speaker there. Um, of course, it comes with Zingerman's food, so <laughs> kind of a win-win. Can't go wrong. If you've eaten their food, it's catered by their catering events team. Full service events, uh, well, planners will help you every step of the way. Take all the stress out of planning. It's it's They're really super nice there. Tara has been very kind to me every time I'm there. Single serving appetizers, plated entrees, anything you can think of. Zingerman's Gray Line. It's it's a place to go. So look them up. Zingerman'sGrayLine.com. Their phone number is 734-230-2300. 734-230-2300. Zingerman'sGrayLine.com. And again, thanks to them for sponsoring today's episode because... I can't be here without a sponsor at this point. Why would you want to be anywhere without Zingerman's? I kind of don't want to anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked a bit about, you mentioned like a, a Desert Island song. I actually planned to ask you if there was one album you would cover from beginning to end and do a show out of it, what album would it be? Like, what can you see yourself like putting a great spin on? Yeah. Oh, man. It would be, I'm just going back between two right now. Do them both. Okay. Uh Maybe the only person on the planet Earth that would say this, but uh, Presidents of the United States of America self-titled debut album. The one with Lump. Pre- yeah, Lump, <laughs> and, and Lump is the one song that I would you know maybe try to skip. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that that whole record it's jangly and punchy and rhythmic. Um, the lead singer it's a trio. I love a trio. Uh, there's so much space, and you really you know there's nothing to hide behind. Um, but he just you know the lead singer plays like a half bass, half baritone guitar. Uh, so it's super jangly and punchy, um, kind of like, um, you know, it's like if ACDC wrote, like, uh, gave animals, like, personification and didn't take themselves quite as seriously. You know, it's just this really fun rock and roll, um, yeah, just wild adventure. And I love all the melodies. And it's just, it's, you know, 12 songs about things that you've never heard anybody write songs about before and since, you know. You're right. That's not a likely answer. What's the other album? Yeah, Um I would, uh, man, there's this live uh, Eric Clapton concert that I have loved since I was a little kid. Um, and it's called One More Car, One More Rider. And it's a live album that he does. Um, and I I have, like, worshipped this thing. It's like a church service at my house when I listen to this. You know, at least once a year I'll, I'll watch the whole thing or listen to the record and, and, and play along. And over time I've just learned all those songs, you know, and – I, I do love that so much, but I just, everything I'm thinking of is, is 90s alternative rock, basically. You that's, know? that's your jam, right? Yeah, that's... Weezer, Pinkerton, um, I, I could definitely do. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm, to be fair, you're sitting here playing acoustic. Most of the time, people see your, your solo and acoustic. Yeah. However, if you pick up a Steve Everett album, yeah, full rock album, fully blown, you know, punchy, like you said, catchy. It makes sense. Do you ever get to tour with a band or play shows? And you're in Nash Vegas. I'm sorry, Nashville these days. Right? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've lived in Nashville for uh, about ten years now. Okay. And uh, so yeah, when I play in town, I'll, I have a band that I use, um, and I, I've always loved touring with a band. Um, but you know, it's not always cost effective. <laughs> yeah. And and uh, I, I think as you uh, as you get a little older and realize, you know, like what your numbers are like and you start taking that into account more. I think when you first start out, you're like, you know, whatever, I'm going to take my band everywhere. I'll lose however much money I have to because I'm just trying to get my name out there. And then I think you get past that and you're to a point where you're like, I, I, I have to keep doing this. I love this. Um, but it does have to pay my bills. So. Yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, it just, it just seems like a lot of guys is, and, and ladies and whoever is, they get to their, you know, late 30s, it becomes like a, 
more of a math game. You know, <laughs> you see, you see, like, all right, well, I'm not going to just be able to drive, you know, 12 hours in a day and sleep in, you know, floors and couches. You know, forever. This is a this is a limited time deal. So, I, I think that kind of leads me to not playing as many band shows. But I sure do love it when I'm able to. And uh, I'd rather I'd rather break even on a show, play it full band, than make money play it by myself for sure. Your favorite shows you've ever played, have they been solo or band? Ooh, um, a, a mix of both. Okay. I, I do love playing solo because it gives me uh, time to be creative um, with the banter in between songs, mm-hmm. you know, and it gives me time to think of stories. Uh, it's also way less pressure because I don't have to stay true to a set list. So if the, if the you know, spirit moves one yeah. way or the other, I can really respond to what's going on in real time. And so, you know, my my solo headline shows are like two and a half hours long because I tell so many stories and, you know, ramble on. But uh, with the band, it, it tends to be a little more tighter. I will say that my favorite moment on stage ever is I opened up for Sister Hazel at the House of Blues in Myrtle Beach. And uh, it, we weren't, I wasn't solo, I was a duo for that. But just the electricity that went through my body, you know, I, I'd, I'd stay there forever. That was incredible. Who puts on the best live show you've ever seen? Need to Breathe. Uh, I will agree. Unbelievable. I, mean, I go see them pretty much every chance I can. Yeah. I, uh, man, I have this, I don't even know if I'm supposed to say this. I was in a, a Need to Breathe music video that never came out Uh-oh. in like 2008. Oh. And, uh, but I, 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 I was able to steal a screenshot from the back of a camera because I got to drive this 44 Ford uh, in, in the music video. It was for their song, Hurricane off of the Outsiders record. But yeah, man, I've I've just I lived in Charleston, South Carolina, um, which is where they they lived for a while. Some of them still do. And uh, so I just kind of got on that that bandwagon really early and I saw them uh play a show at like a 200 cap room in Atlanta um and a few shows on that Outsiders tour and then, you know, it was like 6 months later they were selling out 5,000 seat theaters and Taylor Swift took them out and they have just blown up, but I mean, it hasn't done anything to change who that band is. They have, from day one, been just incredible guys and an unbelievable live band. And Bear's voice, you know, just uh, it, it's insane that you can do that night in, night out, and never lose it. It's just wild. It's, it has evolved. His voice has come a little bit more gruff, but I love it the way it is. But yeah. Compared to the first album, it's like, oh, it's, yeah, okay, I can hear a difference. There's a actually one of my honors in life. There, there have been a few. I've described one before we started recording today, but... Need to Breathe were playing a show at the Michigan Theater, and I was hoping that the guy at the label could hook me up with an interview with them because I, yeah. I would really love to be the one that gets interviewed them this time. Last time it was somebody else. He said, how about something better? I said, well, what would that be? How about the very first interview with Wilder Woods? I'm like, what's that? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so it hadn't even been announced that Bear was doing a solo project. There was a couple of videos out there. No one knew who it was necessarily unless you just knew that voice. And right. I I recorded an interview like a month before they announced it was him. I wasn't even allowed to use it yet, but it was like, I got to talk to Bear, for the, like the first person to talk to him about Wilder Woods. Yeah. That's a pretty cool honor. So I imagine he was, it was a lot different. You know, when you're in a band and you started it when you're young, like it means, you know, an incredible amount to you for sure. But when you're, when you do a solo thing and it's just you, yeah. I mean, you, you feel naked and it feels like you have been laid bare. Yeah. And then when somebody actually wants to talk to you about it, you are just so excited. Like, I'm sure it, you got a different, you know, take on him in that interview than you would have with the Need to Breathe crew. Probably. I enjoyed it for sure. Yeah. Well, as I was combing through your catalog, I, I, I just got a couple of the CDs I didn't own from you when you came today, but I could, I could stream the others that I hadn't heard yet. 
And I noticed you've got a song called Victoria, another called Amy, another <laughs> one called Juliet, and another one called Jessica. <clears throat> so who does Steve Everett love? <laughs> Any of these women anymore? <laughs> so basically, man, like uh, I do, I've always loved songs with girls' names, like in the, you know, as the title or the chorus. Like I just, something about that has always been cool to me. Um, and, you know, keep in mind, these are, I put my first record out in 2011. So like this has been a, a over a 10 year stretch that yes. there's been a few women that I've dated, but Teasing. yeah, no, but, uh, it has become, there's, there's definitely enough now that anybody I date, you know, like I, I'm dating a girl named Jess now and, uh, she's wonderful, but you know, I have this song for my first record called Jessica and she's, you know, not super stoked to listen to that one. <laughs> Well, that begs the question, how does it feel to perform those songs about people you're not with anymore? Does that ever make you feel uncomfortable? Or are you Not at all. Not at all. I mean, I, th I think, you know, making a record is you just capture a moment in time. Like, these are the songs that I have written. And so I went in 2011 and I had what I had. And uh, in the same way that, like, if you wrote a love note to a partner um, and you found it 10 years later after you guys weren't together anymore, um, you know, it's not like... It's not pathetic that you wrote a love note to somebody you don't love anymore. No, it's it, yeah, it meant what it meant at the time. And it's your history. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like I, I wouldn't cover up a tattoo or anything like that either. <laughs> like you wanted it, like you got it. Now just it can either be a lesson or <laughs> something. Or a song. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Might mean something to somebody else. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I was paying attention to the lyrics in "Cloud of Dust," and according to that song, you made music your full-time gig in 2014. Is that true? I feel like there's a reference in that lyric. Yeah, too. yeah. Is that is that when you like said after? Trying doing you know your first album might have been 2011, but you were still was you still doing delivering pizzas and things like that. Was that still part of your yeah. your gig until? Oh, actually, it's apropos that I'm in Michigan because I worked for a Jets Pizza yeah. in Nashville, and uh, yeah, when I moved to Nashville, I had like 40 cents in my checking account as I rolled into town, and I had an empty tank of gas, and I went to a Jets. Uh, to get a job, and this guy um, Sardor was from Uzbekistan, and he was the guy who ran this this Jets chain, and uh, I was just like, hey, man, I want to work here. I'll be a really good employee. I don't have any money. I need to borrow some money to fill up my tank to deliver pizza, and I'll, I'll pay you back after the first shift, and he was just like, yeah, I know what it's like to you know be somewhere new and be starting, and it was just, you know, maybe if it wouldn't have been somebody who had immigrated here and was getting a fresh start, I really don't think they would have been as flexible with me, so I was very lucky and so he gave me 20 bucks. I filled out my tank and delivered pizzas. And I did that for three years. I would uh, work at a Jets downtown for lunch, uh, delivered all the record labels and stuff. And then uh, in between, um, you know, I would like go home, shower up, and then go out uh, to the suburbs and catch all the people who had gone home for the night and delivered a different Jets in the evening. And so I would do that for 14 straight days. And then I would hit the road for 14 straight and play shows. And he just, he, he just let it happen for you know, two or three years. And then finally I got to a point where, and it was so hard for me just from the way I was raised and like my dad's voice, you know, like just keep making the money, you know, keep working hard, keep working hard. And then it was just all of a sudden I was turning down gigs that were worth more money than working my job. And it was just like, I guess, you know, and it was the weirdest feeling. It was like unclipping your belay on the side of a mountain, you know, and just like, well, I guess I'll just keep climbing from here. I'm free falling. Yeah. Tom. Yeah. God bless him. So yeah. what, so since 2014, what would you say your greatest achievement has been as a songwriter or a performer? Oh, man. Having your name mentioned Rolling Stone, that was something you said was pretty cool, but has there been something yeah, equally as... Yeah, but that has nothing to do with me, you no, know? No, right. I, I kind of feel like 
you know. Um, I, I think it's okay to have a small career, you know, and to have um, – I, I, I don't feel connected to the result of, of whatever happens with all of this. You know, like I, I think my job is to diligently write songs, and I've, you know, dedicated a lot of my life to the pursuit of that craft. I want to be a really great songwriter, and I want to have a really great live show. And if it's with the band, then maybe it'll be, you know, high energy rock and roll. And if it's just me, like I try to make it funny and, you know, but how it gets received um, kind of isn't up to me. You know, all I can do is the best I can and then just kind of let the chips fall. So I, I really just try to, I, I want to write the best songs I can write. Uh, actually, I have these four keys that I came up with when I was 19 that like totally changed my life, if I, if I may. Um the first one is, this is just for, for artistic people, you know, uh, make the best art you can make is number one. Number two is be the best person you can be. Number three is pay your bills however you have to do that. And then number four is just have a good time. And that, that's like literally I try to check that box every day, all four of them. And uh, it's just kind of let me not worry about uh, the end result or whether or not this gets legs and turns into an international, you know, huge hit. Um yeah, and I, I think uh, I think Bear from Need to Breathe kind of feels the same way about Wilder Woods. He's like, well, I, I've got these songs. i got to get them out, so I guess that's what I'm going to do. That's cool. Cool analogy, and I appreciate your insight on that. How about another song? You like to do something from uh, yeah. the newer album, something you've written that hasn't been released yet? What do you Yeah, actually, I, uh, you were asking what my best accomplishment was, <laughs> and honestly, like it's always um, whatever I feel like is the best song that I have. Um, I just kind of always think that's the best accomplishment you can have as an artist, you know. Um, and so I'll, I'll, I'll play that one now. This is called the, the Only Way. And I just I got an email on the way over here uh, from the International Songwriting Competition, uh, which is a really cool thing. And they get like, you know, tens of thousands of, of songs that they listen through. And uh, they nominated this song for Song of the Year, which I'm really excited about. So this is The Only Way. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Actually, I wrote this. I know I talked about Derrick Henry living across the street uh, earlier, and uh, it's because the house where he lives, um, there's like 12 houses now where there used to be one house. And uh, the house that got bulldozed, uh, they had a sign in their front yard that said, build like you live next door. And kind of everybody in Nashville had gotten together to kind of like protest all the developmental building and, um, you know, because it's quadrupled the size of neighborhoods by adding so many houses where there were just one. And, you know, same thing happens everywhere, but... Basically, I was just drinking my coffee one morning and saw them bulldoze this perfectly good house out of nowhere. And it and it's they still had their sign in the front yard that said "Build like you live next door." Hmm. And uh, so I ran across the street after they were done. And you know, it's, it takes them months to build a house, and it takes two hours to bulldoze one. Just unbelievable. And so I I, I ran over and I got that sign out of the out of the rubble. Build like you live next door, and it hangs in a big frame on our living room uh, wall. But uh, yeah, I just I was looking across the street and just judging that family, you know. And, and after a couple minutes of that, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, man, you don't know where they are. You don't know what their situation is or what you do in their situation. And so I just kind of this song just flowed out, <clears throat> and it's called "The Only Way." Man. 
man from the city came there putting up houses Like six or seven where there used to be one Made me an offer that I had to consider But I should have just turned and run Cause we've got one in the fifth grade and another right behind They think the universe is just North Carolina all I can think about's the doorway in the kitchen It's covered up with notches, names, and inches Cause there's a million ways that you can build a house And as many you can use to tear it down You can fill it up with treasure that you find along the road But love's the only way to build a home Lady at the bank said I'd be foolish not to sell Most of my neighbors had appointments there as well All I can think about is Judas kissing Jesus And giving back the 30 silver pieces Cause there's a million ways that you can build a house And as many you can use to tear it down can't fill it up with treasure that you find along the road But love's the only way to build a home, yeah I wrote a letter to my kids Hoping someday they'd forgive what daddy did When it was finished I just threw it in the trash the answer I was looking for was right there in my hand There's a million ways that you can build a house And as many you can use to tear it down You can fill it up with treasure that you find along the road But love's the only way to build a home Love's the only way to build a home, yeah. Steve Everett's my guest today on Acoustic Alternatives, and that's a song from his excellent new album, which uh, is not in front of me. It's on my desk, unfortunately. Little Winds, uh, highly recommended record released in 2021. And a few of my friends are actually thanked in the credits of that. Kathy and Chris Malin and Jennifer Haskin are thanked in your credits there. I was late to the Steve Everett party, but I'm glad I came. Absolutely. I've got a mug uh, that Kathy Malin gave me that says, I've got people in Detroit. <laughs> cool. So I'll add you to who I think of. I know Ypsilanti is a different place. Well, but... I live in Plymouth, so it's <laughs> it's the city that way, east of yours. Plymouth. Plymouth, exactly right. <laughs> so that is among the songs that has... I'm going to ask you what your favorite lyrics on the record are, but that there are three favorite lyrics in that in the new record. So, can you think of your favorite lyric from the record? Let oh, you've got three. Fans. I've got three that oh, I've okay. chosen. I want to see if they match yours. Okay, uh, you know, I, I grew up, you know, very in a very conservative family, so that uh, that whole Judas kissing Jesus, you know, and giving back the thirty silver pieces—that's a good line. Thank you, thank you. I was I was proud of that, and it, it was nice to. Uh, you know, I wouldn't consider myself like a, a necessarily like religious person, you know, very spiritual and believe in, you know, all the good stuff that I was raised to believe in. But, mm -hmm. 
you know, I, I just don't love a label, but uh, I, I do think that lesson is is fantastic. You know, the whole, uh, you know, when you get blood money, it's pretty tough to enjoy it. And so it, I, I really wanted to include that. Um, otherwise, um, I guess uh, I have a song on there called The Cloud of Dust. Um, and there's... Uh, Strangers give me $20 bills for my long drives. Friends just give me Adderall, so I arrive alive. I think that's a I nice like little turn of phrase. <laughs> those, those are good ones. My three favorites that, that reached me were, you can't hide a flower from a honeybee. Okay. Because I never really thought about that analogy being, really, I mean, you're, you're using that for humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I loved. All the glories in the start and the finish, most of what happens in the middle. Most of what happens is in the middle distance. And yeah. I got that right. All the glories in the start and the finish, most of what matters yeah. in the middle distance. Right. Yeah. And that's just profound to me. Like, he's right. <laughs> I, I'm trying to get through the middle of my life right now, but yeah. Yeah, I think... Um I think we're we're uh, we don't do a very good job of, of conditioning people for actual life. I feel like we we raise people in in our society, and we we kind of get you ready for like the big moments, like oh well you you'll have a kid and you'll get married and you know one day you'll die and you, you, here's how you want to feel when you die. You know we talk about your deathbed and it's like man, can I live eighty years of my life? to just have one good moment at the very end where I look back fondly, like that seems like a waste, you know? And it does. And I, it just seems like we're we're very good at the uh, the extremities of the wave. You know, when we hit a really high one, it's like, here's how you deal with that. And when you hit a really low one, we have resources. But the majority of your life is just right in the middle, you know, in that wave. And so I just think you have to look at it a little differently, you know, and nobody says you can't have fun in that wave or enjoy that, that, that wave in, in the middle. Got bumps, but yeah, for sure. Yeah. The third one you just sang. You can fill it up with treasure that you find along the road, but love's the only way to build a home. Damn, that's good. Thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, just seriously looking out the window, watching them bulldoze a perfectly good house that I just saw them spend money to to fix up. You know, they had just gotten done with like a six-month renovation. (laughs) And so I felt bad for the contractor and the workers who did the work to just get these people a higher, you know, asking price to then be turned down or to torn down. That's crazy. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, like, that's not the worst thing that's ever happened. You know, like, as we speak, Russia's invading Ukraine. That's yeah. insane. You know, and like, I, I didn't, you know, I slept at a hotel last night, clean room. And when I woke up, there was no part of me that was like, maybe you'll be woken up by bombs dropping in Ypsilanti, you know. Right. Uh, so I, I, I try to think about those things and stay grounded, but. I'm, I appreciate the the love on this record. I sure. definitely felt like uh, you know every couple of years you've grown and you've changed and you make a new record and it's kind of um, you really you really feel like you you can only stand behind the most recent stuff you've written because all the older stuff feels like old lessons and you've changed since then. It's certainly like you're bringing up the girls' names. <laughs> like <laughs> you know some of those are still friends of mine and some people I haven't spoken to in a long time. So I, you know I, I think all of us just need to keep our heads down and, and not put so much pressure on uh, greatness or folly and just kind of enjoy the, the in-between stuff. Well, no matter what your job is, you should be getting better at it. So every album should be better than the last one, right? I mean, if, if your job yeah. was to, to sell burgers, you should be better at it two years after you started selling burgers, right? So it doesn't matter what you do. You're supposed to get better at it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I've been getting better at what I do as well. I hope so anyway. Another song on the record, uh, 
Uh, although Home Room is, is one I like, it does sound like it could have been written by a much younger man. Tell me about what inspired Home Room. Yeah, uh, I've got, um, it's kind of a, a companion song to a song called Elemento P that was on the, my 2008 release, and uh, or 2018, and uh, that song's called Elemento P, and I just kind of wrote this Elemento P song about, um, you know, my elementary school experience, and that was just a really fun space to inhabit, uh, and I think I think everybody, when you when you put yourself in that little kid headspace, um, nobody's you know racist when you're a little kid. Nobody's sexist when you're a little kid. It's just like we're all in this together. And so I think if you can get people to that headspace uh, in a song, I think they're a lot more willing to be cute and fun and funny uh, and silly um, if you can if you can make them feel like a kid again. And so I really. That's a fun space for me, honestly, sonically and, and lyrically to to inhibit, uh, to examine and kind of inhabit. Um, I, I really enjoy writing songs about um, childhood. I don't know why. Takes you back, makes you feel good. Yeah, and I, I didn't even particularly enjoy my childhood as much as just like I remember being very uh, serious about like adults had told me like you got to fall in love you got to find what you got to get like this is the only way you can do this thing you know and so I was just like well I better go ahead and like figure out these women like I don't want anything to do with them yet but I need to I mean if we're going to end up together anyway I might as well make the best of it and that was how I approached it it was a very like scientific method like I need to get to know these people because we're going to have to interface later on (laughs) you mentioned humor in that last bit and I I wonder who because your your stage banter is quite humorous. Who inspired your sense of humor as a, as a kid or as a stage performer? Like, was there somebody that you oh. kind of look up to as a, as a humorist? Yeah, I, I have always loved um, stand-up comedy. And the only way that I got stand-up comedy was um, when late-night talk shows would have guests on. So, like, if David Letterman would have a comedian. that So I just got these, like, little two- to five-minute bits. It's not very long, you know. And so that was my intro to comedy was like, you need to be funny in a couple minutes, you know, and if not a couple, then wrap it up within five and then they go to the, on to the next thing. And so it's almost like a variety show, you know, like howdy doody, like they come out they do the sketch and they move to the next thing, you know? Um, I swear to God, I'm not like a 68 year old man <laughs> talking about howdy doody. No, I get it. Uh, but yeah. And so basically I think that I thought that that was, you know, humor is like when you're your dad's friend that always tells jokes comes over and it's you know, a joke takes a couple minutes. And so I just kind of like when I started playing shows in between songs, you know, what do you talk about? You know, you're like, all right, here's another song. <laughs> do you, While you're tuning, should yeah, you tell a story? Yeah. yeah. And you're a kid starting out and you don't know, you don't have good stories. And so I would just like, you know, I would either talk about how awkward I was being and, and then, you know, all of a sudden people loosen up like, well, at least he knows he sucks at this. You know, <laughs> I just figure if there's something you can do, while you're up there to entertain people, it really doesn't matter what it is. Like as long as you're not, you know, doing anything morally reprehensible, sure. uh, go for it. And so I, I think I think the being exposed to humor in a two to f- two to five minute segment uh, just kind of set up perfectly for in between songs. You have not abandoned the physical media. I've got a couple that I just got from you today. I've got a couple at home. What what is your thoughts about physical media at this point in the music industry? Because you you got a decade or so behind you now, right? And oh, we, we yeah, know we know yeah. where it's going, but yeah, what are you going to continue to do this? Or are you going to go? You know, it's not worth it anymore. Oh man, no. I mean, I, I knew this was it when I was ten. I joined a band, my first band, when I was fifteen, and I'm thirty-seven. So like, this has been the this has been my full-time focus and the only thing I've cared about. You know, I was a music major in college. 
um, just I've just always done this. I've always been in a band, booking shows, and doing all that stuff. And um, I just ran out of friends to be in bands with, which is the only reason I ever went solo, you know. But yeah, I mean, this is this is me. I, I've I've devoted my life. Like I want to be the best songwriter I can be. Um, and, I, and I'm going to keep making records. And if nobody comes to the shows, nobody comes to the shows. You know, like I've got to make the best art I can make, be the best person I could be, pay my bills and have a good time. And to have a good time, I've got to make the best art I can make, you know, <laughs> and play shows. Do you find that the physical CDs are, are a benefit at shows like the kinds you play because it's something that people can take home? If they're seeing you for the first time, they can remember you that way. Is that, yeah. how, is that kind of how you feel about it? It has become like selling a headshot or something, you know, like... Calling card. Yeah. I, I tell people if they don't take off the plastic wrap, then they make excellent coasters. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I still firmly believe in physical media. Like I write my songs, pen and paper. Uh, when I read books, like, you know, I do the audio book in the car a lot, but I definitely don't use the e-reader. Like I want to hold the book. Yeah, don't use the e-reader while you're driving. Well, yeah. Please <laughs> get here alive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely a firm believer in long form records, you know, 10 to 12 songs or more. Um, so LPs and yeah, I, there's got to be liner notes, you know, like we grew up worshiping Thank you. liner notes. Like Thank you. who played on this? Who produced this? Thank what are you. the lyrics to this song? Yes, exactly. Where did you record? Like, is this somewhere I could go and maybe get some similar sounds? You know, like this, is, this is how the whole music industry started. Tell all your singer songwriter friends the same thing. This is, this is the truth. This is, yeah. Not all of us are out there buying them anymore, but some of us still want to buy them. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't make the the physical CDs with the the hope that like people will listen to them. I make them because you know if there's a 13 year old kid that's who I was when I was 13, then it would be like an abomination. Like I could, I could never have a favorite artist who didn't release physical stuff and have liner notes. Like I, that's just part of the experience. Thank you. One more interesting topic that we haven't covered is your involvement with Rock by the Sea. Thanks for bringing that up. Tell me about that. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I am actually somehow I've become the vice president of rock by the sea. Wow. I know. Vice president. Right. Doesn't that just sound huge? Name tags, does it? <laughs> yeah. Vice president. Uh, you know, I, I went down to a uh, Florida in, I guess, 2013 mm -hmm. for the first time to play a rock by the sea. And, uh, Beth Gosnell is our president and founder. And, uh, she's, she's a wonderful supporter of music and she's really good at, finding new bands and artists and building them up and helping them get new opportunities. And she started this children's cancer charity music festival called Rock by the Sea. And uh, we're a volunteer board, so all the money we raise goes straight to charity. Uh, and we are a 501c3, so we can give you a, a tax deduction form if you would like to go to rockbythesea.org and uh, click on donate. You can be a monthly donator and uh you know, give five bucks, 10 bucks, whatever you want. Uh, but yeah, basically right now we focus on the brain tumor immunotherapy lab at um, the University of Florida. Mm -hmm. So there's this man named Dr. Dwayne Mitchell who started this, uh, you know, pediatric brain tumor immunotherapy lab. Uh, and it's the same brain tumor, the glioblastoma that actually killed John McCain. Oh. And it's, uh, it was a hundred percent fatal almost in, in kids under 12 when they started this lab. And uh, they have a clinical trial where they treat kids, and they are saving, they are curing like one in three kids when last I checked. Wow. So it's an unbelievable project. And uh, we just found out that they, they just were having trouble getting funding because, you know, people want to treat adult cancer, people with money um, and jobs. And so the children's cancer, like especially the rarer tumors, it just kind of falls through the cracks. And uh, we have loved being involved with Dr. Mitchell's lab at the University of Florida. But you can find out more at rockbythesea.org. 
and we'd love to see you in an event sometime. We basically just do 500 to 1,000 person little boutique music festivals uh, in small towns all over America and usually try to be by a body of water. Um, and it's just, you know, like we've got an event coming up Mother's Day weekend in Destin area, Florida, and uh, we've got Sister Hazel playing. We've got uh, a thousand horses, and we've got Will Hogue. I'll I'll be there as well. Uh, but it's just a huge lineup. You can find out everything you need to know at rockbythesea.org. Thank you for sharing. One final question. I know you do some writing with others. Have any of those songs turned into hits for other people? <clears throat> Not yet. Uh, but man, you know, you get close one time, and then it's that fire is lit, and you're like, oh, all Almost. right, I was right there, yeah. And it just kind of it lets you know that it's real and that a lot of living in Nashville is just odd. You know, you go to the grocery store, and some of my favorite songwriters ever um, I, I see at the grocery store sometimes, and it's just, it's, it's just so wild. Um, yeah, what a weird town to live in. But, yeah, you, you get a little taste of, of you know, being in the right room and being with the right people, and it's, it's unbelievable how easy it is t- to just kind of like wind up in that situation when you live somewhere like Nashville. So I've just tried to stay diligent uh, and stay on the hunt. But, you know, I'm 37. I, I figure I can write songs till the day I die, so I got plenty more opportunities. There you go. How'd you like to do another song before we end up? Yeah, I'd love to. This is uh, this is one of my favorite songs I've ever written. I uh, This was for my second record called Central Standards. And uh, a funny thing about Central Standards is that, I guess because of the name of it, uh, it got misclassified on iTunes. So in 2016, this this came out, and I had the number six jazz record in the world. <laughs> Not a Bravo. jazz. Yeah. It was just it was five different Frank Sinatra records, and then me, and then Nina Simone. And I was like, I did it, Nina. <laughs> but I just, I like to imagine that a couple, you know, that they, whatever jazz record comes out every week, they just listen to it in like Des Moines, you know, and they go to their living room and they dance. Just, you know, old retired couple, and then they kicked it on, and it was just, you know, just this rock and roll, catchy, fun, upbeat, you know, the music to smile to, basically. But uh, this is a song from that record, and it's, it's called Honey Bee. And it's, uh, I was just at a, I used to drive this black Ford Ranger and it would get covered up with pollen in the springtime. And, uh, I was at a stop sign and these bees were just swarming my truck, you know, thinking it was a a flower, I guess. And uh, I remembered my high school natural science class and, uh, Miss Rory Coons, uh, was my teacher. And she told us about bees and about how they pollinate all the crops and everything, but also told us about how, you know, the females are the ones that can sting you. And they don't want to sting you because if they do, their stinger falls out and they die immediately, which means that the female honeybees can lose their temper one time in their whole life, which is insane. And I started thinking about that um, and just like, you know, how much that would change things if, if that was the same for humans, you know. So I just kind of wrote this song about all we can learn from, from the honeybee about temperance and tolerance. I like the life of a honeybee Plays the whole thing out with just one sting And if she can't learn how to just be kind She'll have to leave the one she loves behind You misunderstood at picnics Swatted down at baseball games Keeping flowers blooming 
while you try and earn your name. You just fly over families just beyond our reach. Running for your life so you can stay. Use your wings and keep your anger put away Cause you've learned how to live to sting another day We put your labor in our teeth but in the spring you make us itch and sneeze For the sweetest taste we sing your praise But for the yellow dust we curse your name yeah. You misunderstood at picnics, swatted down at baseball games Keeping flowers blooming while you try and earn your name You're just flying over families Just beyond our reach Running for your life so you can stay You use your wings and keep your anger put away Cause you've learned how to live to sting another day Ain't it just like people being at each other's throats Focused on what's different when what's in common weighs the most You're just flying over families Just beyond our reach Run so you can stay You use your wings and keep your anger put away Cause you've learned how to live To sting another day Steve Everett on Acoustic Alternatives with Honey Bee. Thank you, Steve, for being part of the Acoustic Alternatives podcast and coming up from Nashville, visiting with me and sharing stories. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. I love the show. I'm a fan of you, and uh, I can't wait. It'll be out soon. And I want to thank again Zingerman's Gray Line. Without them, this was not going to be seen, probably not heard either. Zingerman's Delicatessen, you've probably heard of that. Uh, Gray Line is one of their fine establishments that you can rent for a facility to throw a party and a wedding, whatever it is you want. Zingermansgrayline.com, 734-230-2300. Check them out and uh, tell Tara I said hello when you give a call to her. She's a super sweet human, and I appreciate them so much. And I appreciate Grove Studios for being here in Ypsilanti for us to, to record this podcast. At Steve, I look forward to seeing you again soon. Likewise, brother. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on Acoustic Alternatives.